The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest and member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And yourself? Doing well. Thanks for being here. Uh, you too. You also. Yep. Good to see you. Well, Father, we've got uh, a few things that I wanted to get into tonight, but this uh, first one I, I just couldn't pass off. This is actually the headline on, on LifeSite News right now, their, their first article that uh, it says, Trump to mobilize military to deliver COVID vaccine to millions very, very quickly. Uh, so in, in reading the article, it talks about how President Trump has uh, announced his administration is all set to march when it comes to the coronavirus vaccine. Well, he will have a military general overseeing the logistics of delivering the still-in-development product. Uh, President Trump said, I think you're going to see something spectacular. Uh, he said, we um, uh, basically have, have been uh, working on this Operation Warp Speed to fast-track the development of the coronavirus vaccine. And uh, the, um, the, the goal here is to, uh, he says, use every... The U.S. government will deploy every plane, truck, and soldier required to help distribute it to the American people as quickly as possible. What do you think about this, Father? Is this a good idea to have the uh, U.S. military distributing this Operation Warp Speed uh, coronavirus vaccine as quickly as possible? What do you think about that? I think it's awful. Really? I think it's, it's very awful. Yes, it's, uh, he says it'll be spectacular. I think it's spectacularly awful. It is Operation Warped Speed, I'm afraid. Uh, uh, he must be deaf. Uh, President uh, Trump must be deaf to the, to the voices of those who are urging caution here, even to the roughly third of the American populace who are saying they want nothing to do with this vaccine. <clears throat> uh, there are medical voices who, that are voicing uh, their concerns about it being rushed rushed into the market, right? Because it's going to be paid for and paid for by the American people who may well be compelled to get it. Um, making us very much like uh, communist China. In fact, there are people concerned we, we are becoming kind of communist China, actually. And um, of course, injecting people with uh, substances that are designed by uh, leftists who are actually uh, uh, political operatives parading as medical personnel, right? Uh, one has to be very careful. We uh, not only want to be very careful, very wary of this. Um, you know, there are any number of questions that concern this. Uh, there are people who are totally con contrary to the whole idea, the concept of the vaccines to begin with. There are those who are not contrary to the idea of the vaccinations, but they are very mistrustful of the provenance of this. You know, it's uh, chemical makeup and the uh, 
the mentality, the ideology, truly ideology behind it, right? Uh, here you have Bill Gates, who has been talking for years on TED Talks about the need to use vaccines in order to sterilize populations. In other words, to cut the number of human beings down, right? So instead of uh, looking for herd immunity to the coronavirus, vac- uh, coronavirus itself, uh, they say we need to cull the herd. That's their attitude. This is what Bill Gates and Melinda Gates are all about. This is where they're focused right now, okay? This is what their operations in Africa have been about. This is what their operations in South America have been about. This is nothing new to them. They've made it very clear. This is what their intention is. And this is their intention pursuing this vaccine, not to save lives, but to take lives, okay? They want to call the herd. And to have Anthony Fauci now, who is an operative of theirs, certainly has worked with the Gates Foundation, right? And it's all about this vaccination business, as though this is the key to all things, even to the point of suppressing, suppressing effective treatments against um, the SARS-CoV-2 virus and um, the, its manifestations in disease, COVID-19. Suppressing thing, uh, treatments that doctors are insisting are effective in enabling people to uh, recover from the disease, legally suppressing them so that a vaccine is, is evidently necessary. This seems to be what they're doing right now. They're suppressing not only the, uh, uh, such as hydroxychloroquine, you know, they're, they're, but they're suppressing the people who are promoting that and insisting, no, we're curing people with this. They, the people, are now being suppressed politically, too. And uh, so we see a very nefarious um, uh, mind behind all of this, you know. Um, we know that the mind of Bill Gates, who is going to be, uh, who wants to be the manager of mankind, right? He wants to manage mankind, just like they were a vaca, just like they were the, uh, cattle, okay? Where we get the word vaccine from, right? And... Um, we see uh, George Soros behind this. We see the Billionaires Club who think that they have a right because of their wealth, however they got it, um, to uh, be the ones who are going to manage mankind, including who is allowed to live, who is allowed to be born, <laughs> right? who's allowed to give birth. They want to um, uh, put all of this in a, in a serum and inject it into the population of the world. Uh, the fact that Donald Trump is the man, their point man to get this done, and he's going to use the United States military to effectively do it, is a travesty. And uh, to think that the United States military is going to sign this task now is unthinkable. It is just unthinkable. Mm-hmm. So, um, but unfortunately, it is uh, not outside the realm of... Um, a prophecy that this should come to pass, right? And the idea is then that uh, it will come to it now where those who do not have the vaccine or will not have the vaccine will not be able to participate in social life. They will be excluded. They'll be ostracized. Won't be able to buy or sell. And we're already experiencing that now to some extent in the marketplace, right? But things are being shut down. 
um, by mandates of the government because they're not essential. Uh, the businesses that are considered essential, right? Even in the, the, the opening, the, the reopening now, uh, mandate certain things like the, the face mask, which some are calling the face diaper, which is essentially what, what it serves as, you know. And uh, now, uh, Antonio Fauci again, Anthony Fauci has recently come out and said that the face mask itself is really not that effective without the face shield. You need some kind of face shield. If you have something you can put over your eyes, so much better, but uh, better yet to have an actual face shield on. So now we're, we're supposed to go there because he's come up with this idea now. He, the man who told us originally that this was going to be no worse than a bad flu season, and no, we should not be wearing masks, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're being told, oh, we've got to have masks, okay? So, um, I mean, people are losing confidence, and uh, I am one of those that I, I have no... He has absolutely no credibility to me whatsoever. No credibility. In fact, it's come to the point with him that when he speaks, I assume it's wrong. It's got to be wrong. <laughs> I have to be, it has to be proven to me that what he's saying is true. Uh, and he seems to come out with uh, contrary ideas from one day to the next with absolutely reckless abandon and expect that everyone is going to bow down before whatever he says at any given moment. This is the leftist mindset. And uh, I i mean, for what it's worth, I, I, I personally regard him as basically a political hack right now. a uh, Someone who fit into the um, political uh, mentality of, of, of the leftists, of Obama and Clinton and so on. And that's why he's still there. And it, it amazes me that, uh, I mean, Donald Trump, not being the politician, perhaps, doesn't realize that these people are there because they have packed them in there, in these bureaucratic positions. And uh, they do not have his best interests or the best interests of the United States of America at heart, as apparently, okay? It, it seems to me, anyway, quite the contrary. So in any case, there I uh, speak my mind on that for what it's worth, uh, but it's just, uh, you might say, one person's opinion mm-hmm. in the matter. But when somebody speaks and continue, repeatedly contradicts himself over and over again yeah. and expects that every time he speaks, it be taken as gospel or divine revelation, and everyone has to snap to and, uh, and follow his opinion of the moment or his statement of the moment, that, that doesn't ring well, it doesn't bode well. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we're dealing with here. And, and talking about those contradictions, Father, I, I've spoken with, with several several individuals who work in, in this field of, uh, of medicine, and, and they all say the same thing, that this is like like a, a standard thing in, in the field of vaccines where any vaccine that's developed, um, it, it, is, it is tested, it is monitored for six to seven years, I, I think is, is the, the typical time frame where it's monitored to see what kind of effects, what kind of long-term effects it's, it's going to have. And this is, you know, a standard thing in, in the vaccine uh, industry. And um, the fact that this is being rushed, um, you know, just blatantly go- going against that. I mean, and President Trump admits that, you know, the whole Operation Warp Speed that uh, we're just going to plow ahead. We're, we're going and to and thought she's all in favor. Yeah. And yet at the same time, he's coming out and saying, well, we might need to repeat the vaccinations every year mm-hmm. because the, the and now they're, they're, we, they found there are six varieties of the SARS-CoV-2 virus anyway, already out there. And we might need a different vaccine for each one of them. 
And so suddenly now we're getting this multiplication of vaccines that have to just suddenly be um, pulled out of the, the hat in the, ra- in, the, in the laboratory. So, uh, you know, people are not facing the fact that vaccines can be very, can be very dangerous. And um, so, again, I mean, I, I see him as a political operative and of the left, you know, in order to to um, get this in place. And I think what, he, what he's saying here uh, really is contrary to sound medical advice right down the line. Uh, because he's not talking medicine, he's talking politics. Even while he's saying that he's not talking about social policy, he says that in the same paragraph. He'll say, and we can't do this, and we shouldn't be doing this, and we shouldn't be doing that. Okay. So, uh, in any case, uh, now he's come out and he said that the reason why we're having these spikes now in COVID um, cases is because... There are states that did not follow his guidelines, and that's why. And uh, again, that statement is, I think, patently false, okay? Uh, His guidelines, whatever they were at any given moment, right? And uh, there there apparently is a lot of good medical opinion out there from sound medical advisors or explaining how this virus is, is actually running. And it's running like a, an actual virus. And uh, were it not for the interference of politics, politicians, and among them I would include Anthony Fauci, were it not for the interference of politicians in this, notably the politicians of the left, uh, that this virus would be running its course. But they are determined to keep using it as a whip to lash the population into submission. Mm-hmm. to destroy the economy, to uh, take down Donald Trump and clear the way for their uh, world, for their plans for the rest of mankind, right? Um, so uh, do I think this is dire? I think it is extremely dire. I think it's extremely dire that Donald Trump would say that he's going to employ the United States military to administer this vaccine. Yes, mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. And there, there's, of course, been... Uh the assurance that the vaccine will not be mandatory, will not be forced on, on those who do not want it. But do you- we always receive those reassurances before uh, we're told to um, basically, excuse me, shut up, stand up, and roll up your sleeve. You know, we're always given these assurances. Leftists always do that. All of the evil programs they put into place here over the years have been preceded by uh, you know, disclaimers that, oh, we, we don't mean that, of course, you know, that's ridiculous. And if anybody suggests that that's where they're going with it, they're, they're made, they're ridiculed. Oh, this is absurd. Where did you get that idea? And sure enough, within a very short space of time, that program is put into place. And, uh, what people feared, but were reassured that it was nonsense to fear, right? It comes to pass. And, uh, Kind of like with People abortion. Do not have the option. With, with abortion being safe and legal and, oh, and rare. Sure. Um, all of that. Exactly. Certainly That's how the modernists operate, too. That's how the opera, uh, modernists operated in the, in the church during the revolution of Vatican II. Oh, no, we're not going to do that. We would never do that. Of course not. You say, well, wait a minute. Your principles uh, kind of... Uh, lend themselves to be interpreted in that direction. Oh, no, 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 that's not what we mean. 
no, no, that's not that's not our intention. That, that'll never happen. And as if to say, well, what's wrong with you? You're so suspicious. What are you, a conspiracy theorist? And sure enough, what is uh, foreseen by prudent people, but ridiculed and mocked and derided one day is, is the law of the land or the law of the modernist Novus Ordo Church the next day. So, uh, you know, people were foreseeing all of these things coming in, altar girls and hand communion and, and all the rest uh, back when. It was unthinkable, but there were people saying, wait a minute, this is where they're heading. And of course, they were, they were told that uh, they were lunatics for suggesting this. Now look at where we are with the gender, with the gender benders, right? Um, again, would have been unthinkable, you know, even five, ten years ago. Yeah. But anybody who sort of suggested that this is where they were, it was going to go would have been roundly uh, ridiculed, even, even perhaps uh, even uh, told they should seek psychiatric help. Okay, and now this is the reality, and the reality is the uh, the lunatics are running the asylum right now. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, I think this is a very bad indication here, and I hope uh, someone with a measure of prudence and some sound information uh, talks to President Trump and talks him off this ledge, because I consider this to be like a ledge mm -hmm. that's going to take him down mm -hmm. and everyone else with him. There, there was another interesting article that uh, really caught my eye that I wanted to uh, to mention because I think it ties in with this in a way. Uh, it says that uh, suicide deaths are higher than COVID-19 deaths during the lockdown. This is actually from the, uh, the CDC, Center for Disease Control and Prevention Director, Dr. Robert Redfield. He mm -hmm. said that... Um, that we are seeing, this is a quote, we're seeing, sadly, far greater suicides now than we are deaths from COVID. We're seeing far greater deaths from drug overdose that are above excess that we need as background than we, than we are seeing the deaths from COVID. So, Father, why, why is there, there such an insistence on a, a vaccine for, for a mandatory, maybe not a, well, supposedly not a mandatory, but this, you know, this great Operation Warp Speed giant rush to get this vaccine when, um, you know, we have more people dying from suicide and drug overdose and other things than... And children yeah. being traumatized, as they recognize. Yeah, yeah. Being traumatized. I mean, this is the director of the CDC that's saying yeah. this. This is the cost of their lockdowns, okay? Yeah. And that's that, that fits well with what you said before, Tom, about the, invoking the United States military. So, I mean, does not one not see that this is President Trump's idea that he's going to pull his vaccine off before the election and everyone's going to say he did it, he did it. And, and this apparently, what, I mean, it seems to be what's going through his mind, that he's going to suddenly produce this vaccine. All of a sudden, we can all rush to get the vaccine. We're all delivered from the, the tyranny of this virus which is actually not the tyranny of the virus at all. It's the tyranny of the leftists. And uh, as though he thinks that this is going to somehow save his presidency. And he's, if, if this is what he's, what he's thinking, then it's obvious that he's being very ill-advised, in my opinion. And, uh, but, um, and, and what he's done in the past, 
uh, we've seen in re- recent past is trying to leave it to the governors and the mayors to decide issues, right? For example, the lockdown issues. And, uh, and now with the rioting, to, to leave them to handle these as long as he could go, you know. And what makes us think he's not going to do the same thing with the vaccine and let them decide where it's going to be mandatory or not? And what do you think the Democratic mayors and the Democrat so-called uh, governors are going to be deciding? Okay, uh, we, we don't have to wonder too long or too much about that. Um, and so... Um, we're, we're, and we're, what are we going to find about uh, corporate America? And but I mean, they're supporting all of these revolutionary causes now, and they're going to line up too beyond this, requiring that of their employees, right? Possibly their clients at a certain time. So as much pressure is going to be brought to bear on people to receive the vaccine as they need to get people to get in line, and the rest, I'm afraid, are going to be in leper colonies. Uh, female leopard colonies around the country, you know. Now, one might ask, you know, what does this have to do with what Catholics believe? Well, Catholics believe in liberty, okay? Catholics believe that the individual person has a responsibility to God for his own actions, okay? Um, we, our, our founding fathers expressed it well, right? We're talking about conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal by God. Um, uh, insofar that this, they have human souls and they have responsibility, right? And they all have a uh, calling to supernatural life. God wills not the death of the sinner, but that he be converted and live. And uh, God does want the salvation. Right? He creates people for eternal life. Um, although human beings decide otherwise, that they, there's, there are things they want more <laughs> eternal life. But um, in any case, I mean, the Catholic faith teaches us that, that autonomy. I mean, that, that is actually, not to try to stray too far from what we're saying here, but, you know, that is actually the foundation for our saying that racism itself is a mortal sin. Racism is evil. Uh, Pope Pius XI in Zorge, the encyclical with burning anxiety, has written about the regime, the Nazi regime in, in Germany uh, before World War II. I mean, he, he made it very clear that to, to condemn an entire race, to attack an entire race, to defame an entire race is evil. Was, um, each individual... As, as we understand as Catholics, each individual has that personal responsibility for God and uh, has to decide, you know, whether to cooperate with grace or not. To have this attitude, well, we're just going to, to condemn this entire race of people because they all have a certain color of skin, whether it be white or black or any other color. Or uh, to condemn this entire race of people because they speak a certain language or they have this cultural background. That is a form of collectivism. That's what collectivism is. Collectivism takes people, lumps them together, and condemns them all, or rewards them all, based upon some extraneous, incidental accident of history, which has nothing to do with their personal merit or demerit, character or lack of it. It's just that they have some characteristic, uh, usually a physical or cultural characteristic, that someone finds offensive, or even threatening. 
And so we have to condemn them all for that reason. That's collectivism. That's what the left is all about. The left is all about the collective. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Right? This is not. This is the opposite of Catholicism. Yeah. <laughs> it's a denial of Catholicism. It's rejection, not only of Catholicism, but it's a rejection of the very concept of God that enables us to understand who we are. I mean, we are making the image and likeness. Well, the image of God by nature, the likeness of God by grace, God created. And so we can only understand who we are in light of who God is. Um, and so when they reject Catholicism and the traditional Catholic faith, they're rejecting the very concept of God, which is the, is the foundation for what we believe about ourselves, that God made us to be personally, individually responsible. And each human life has a, has a value, which is beyond the value of uh, material things, right? Uh, has a, a supernatural value. Our whole system of law here in this country uh, this is based upon the idea, the, the uh, sovereignty, you might say, of the, of the human life, the value of the individual human life, whether he be a prince or a pauper, whether he be a statesman or, you know, a, a street cleaner. And he has a human life, and that is an, is a, has an intrinsic value. Uh, and we are equal before the law. I mean, it all goes back to our faith. But uh, the collectivism, collectivism of the leftists would completely eradicate that. It's totally opposed to that idea. And uh, that's what racism does, really. It is a leftist phenomenon. Uh, it's the result, the natural, necessary result of leftist thinking and rejecting God as creator and redeemer. So um, we must reject that entirely, the idea of racism. And those who are guilty of it are, are actually guilty of it as objectively mortally simple in condemning an entire race because of the activities of a few or, you know, characteristics of a few that mm. they don't agree with. <coughs> so um, we will not fall victim to that the collectivist thinking. All of this activity about deploying the military to vaccinate the entire population, uh, entire populations, that's all collectivist thinking. That's all leftist thinking. It's all communist thinking, really, right? So um, we have to think like Catholics, and we, we cannot endorse this at all. Mm -hmm. Actually, we have to oppose it. Mm -hmm. And how, how do we oppose that, Father? I mean, it's just, like you said, very dire. We have this... Uh a takeover of our, our country happening. If this is this is really war that we're in now, how do we fight it as Catholics? What would Saint Ignatius? Well, it certainly is a spiritual warfare. There's no doubt about it. What would Saint Ignatius Loyola do? How he was a he was a soldier. He was a fighter, right? How how would he fight? Something he was like a professional soldier, right? A captain, I understand, and the employee of a uh, one of the lords or princes of. Mm -hmm. uh, what was then Italy, it was divided up into a bunch of different states, or states, um, cities, basically city-states. Um, so, uh, you know the story of St. Ignatius Loyola, whose feast day is today, right? He was wounded, not with a bullet, but with a cannonball. <laughs> That's a serious, a serious wound. His leg was shattered. He was carried to a nearby monastery there, uh, they tried to get his legs set, 
we're talking about the 1500s, though, so they didn't have an awful lot of, shall we say, some of the finer technological wonders we have today, okay? So uh, the bone knit together, but badly, so they had to re-break his leg again. Um, I'm sure, that, I mean, in those days, whatever they had by way of anesthesia, probably, probably came out of a bottle, a flask. I don't know that the monks would have had an awful lot of that on hand before. Uh, you know, Ignatius Loyola's comfort. Um, but he left the monastery, he left with a, a limp that was with him for life, but he left a changed man because while he was convalescing, he really did some serious thinking. He was like on a kind of enforced retreat. He was reading books from the monastery library, and those books were books of the spiritual life. And uh, he decided that then since he had risked everything in the, in the employ of a secular prince who couldn't really care less about his fate, it just saw him as no longer useful, he wanted to uh, in, in join the army of God, the church militant, uh, and be a soldier for Christ. Uh, gaining souls for heaven. And so he was completely devoted to our Lord as his, as his now leader, okay? But he had a military mind and saw things should be done in a, in a disciplined military way. He went off to a cave, Mount Reza, and lived for a, a year there or so, I guess. Uh, and he was devising a plan on how to transform um, worldly men and women too, into soldiers for Christ. So basically he was devising a program in order to accomplish for other souls what had been accomplished in his own. And uh, those now are known to us as the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius Loyola. And the objective of it all actually is to bring one through the stages of spiritual uh, you know, birth and his gestation as, as that, that St. Ignatius had experienced, essentially. And um, they're highly effective in doing that. Uh, St. Ignatius uh, wound up as a student, uh, one of the older students at the University of Paris, where he befriended younger, uh, well, noble college-age gentlemen who'd come from noble families around Europe, to get an education, to become professionals and nobles and lords and so on throughout the empire. And they were attracted to him, uh, this older man, old enough to be their father with a limp, because of his ardor for the service of God. And those who were devout um, gathered around him because he inspired them. And uh, eventually, you know, his work became... Uh, that, that these who sought the company of Ignatius Loyola, he wanted to be the company of Christ. The, he wanted them not to be his companions, but Christ's companions. And so he, he began a religious order uh, with the approval of the Holy See called the Company of Jesus, or the Society of Jesus. And that's where the Jesuits come from. They are the Society of Jesus the associates, the companions of Jesus, but in a military sort of way. He had a military bent to this. He had a military mind behind it. He had a military structure to it. He wanted that self-discipline. This was at the time that Luther's heresy was ravaging Europe, you know, and so many others, you know, the rest of them, uh, Calvin, Melanchthon, and so on. And um, 
So he wanted to, he realized the dangers of an undisciplined crowd going out there. He wanted a disciplined crowd so they could accomplish the work that they were called to do. And not let personnel matters or personalities or passions get in the way. He wanted them to be thinking uniquely of the interests of Christ and the salvation of souls. And he was very highly successful, as you know. His greatest missionaries was St. Francis Xavier. But there were many other great great men and great minds behind this. And they went, they themselves, although St. Uh, Ignatius Loyola was rather a latecomer to the academic life, uh, the Jesuits became great scholars and led the research in so many, many fields, astronomy, among others, right? Um... You know, the, the Protestants like to talk about Galileo as being persecuted by the church. Uh, actually, Galileo is a hard-headed man who insisted on interpreting sacred scripture according to his theories. I say theories because he hadn't really proven them yet. Mathematically, he hadn't succeeded in proving them. Um, so uh, he was basically told to cease and desist until, as St. Barbara Bellarmine said, there was proof. Um, but a man, a man who ends his life basically uh, on a stipend, um, personally uh, uh, provided by a pope, Urban VIII, uh, in a palazzo, you know, in Florence, <laughs> uh, just a few steps away from the door of a convent where his own sister lives, and the sisters are taking care of him in his old age. Uh, a man who <coughs> was given the benefit of having a, a, a uh, an observatory provided for him, right. okay? This doesn't sound like persecution to me. In any case, but they never tell you about Newton. I mean, Newton was a great scientist, obviously, you know. Some would even call him the father between Galileo and Newton. Uh, you know, they would have to vie for the title of the father of modern science, but uh, Newton, a great believer of God, in God, uh, is hailed by the Protestants as their own. But when he was proposing uh, his theories on the movement of uh, celestial bodies, and comets and so on. The Protestants really wanted to imprison him. And where did he go? For a sanctuary to the Jesuits. And the Catholics took him in and protected him <laughs> and his science. Okay, but we don't hear about that part because it doesn't count because it doesn't fit the narrative. You know. Um, but anyway, it's the truth. People can go and find that out and look that up themselves if they want to. But anyway, uh, getting to here is. Uh, we're being hit over the head by this word science over and over and over again. As I mentioned before, Karl Marx continually referred to his theories. Now, that's a scientific socialism. So if it's scientific, you can't question it. Like that is some kind of divine revelation. How many times have you heard this from Anthony Fauci and the rest? The science, the science, the science. But in the end, they're not following the science. They're not following science at all. They're following some kind of political program. That's what it seems to be. Catholics do not worship science. Yeah. We find that our knowledge of things is continually changing. What was accepted uh, one century now is largely surpassed or even rejected, right? The next century. Uh, because it's only as big as... It can, science can only be measured in terms of the human intellect, and the human intellect is very limited, right? 
<clears throat> and not only the human intellect, but even our method of learning truth uh, by deductive and inductive re reasoning. We have to reason to the truth. It's a slow, arduous process. And on top of it, science can't really prove anything. The very nature of uh, the empirical sciences today is the idea of actually proving something is, uh, it, it, it's not there, logically speaking, in terms of the philosophical concept of proof, it can't be. Because there are limitations. So they have to be uh, called out when they start talking about the omnipotence of science and the omniscience of science. What they're actually trying to say is, you have to listen to us because we're scientists and we are omniscient at this moment, we are, and we know best at this moment. So you have to regard us as the divine oracles of science, okay? And they cannot be allowed to, to, to do that, to, to bully people into submission like that, bully governments into, unfortunately, politicians are more than willing to uh, put on the veneer, okay, that they are enlightened, and they partake of the religion of science, so that they will go with these fake scientists uh, who put themselves off as some kind of great gurus or oracles of, of truth, you know, uh, when in the very process they're denying the very concept of truth, basically. Now, the Catholic Church is the only answer to this. The Catholic faith is the only antidote. It's the only vaccine against this infection of scientism. And uh, we have to be very careful about that. And I think you're asking, well, what do we do about this? Well, Tom, I mean, our Catholic people have to stand up like St. Ignatius Loyola and have to live holy lives, sanctified lives, lives completely devoted to the service of Christ and souls. And um, they have to basically do what St. Paul recommended long ago to the early Christians facing persecution. Don't encumber their lives with a lot of attachments to the things of the world. Be free you know, to, uh, to devote yourself to the service of God and the salvation of souls. Um, we, we find that uh, Catholic men are called upon to... Uh, to stand up and defend, right? To defend their homes, defend their families, defend their loved ones, defend their church, uh, to defend their civilization, their nations against the, the onslaught of savagery like communism, Marxism. I mean, this is basically just tribalism gone viral. <coughs> In the tribe, you have to be a part of the tribe. Everybody exists as a part of the tribe. Nobody can have an individual life or an independent life or an independent thought. You have to fit into the tribe. You're a piece of the tribe, that's all you are, right? And tr this communism is tribalism taken to the level of, uh, of a mega state, right? Uh, the divine state where you have not just a, a tribe of maybe 30 or 40 people and a handful of families. This is where technology has enabled you to expand that tribalism to dominate entire nations of people, you know, and uh, try to impose upon them a uniformity so that everybody must fit into the tribe. And your your value is, is only insofar as you are part of the tribe and you are useful to that tribe. Um, this is savagery. The only antidote for that is our faith. You know, there was a time when 
in Brazil. That country was on the on the edge of of plunging into communism. I'm talking about the early and mid 1960s. It wasn't that long ago, Tom. I mean, I was alive when this was happening. Okay, and actually was aware of it happening. So it's within a lifetime. The lifetime of many people who are still alive today. And it was it was actually happening there in the middle of Vatican II. And that might have had some part to play in it because the president of Brazil had been slowly transforming the country into a communist state by legislation. And he was working to put the last pieces of legislation in place that would have formally produced a communist economy, a communist political um, uh, framework in Brazil and make Brazil an actual communist nation. He was almost there. And the men did not stand up to oppose this. They were doing this in Spain back in the 1930s, and the youngest of the generals, Franco, stood up and said, I will not allow this. He put his life, everything on the line there, to resist it. And we know he succeeded in resisting it. But the communists directed from Moscow, from Moscow at the time, we're trying to take over Spain. Part of their common turn program, right? Communist International. Export communism to the nations of the world by revolution. The men of the Spanish government did not have the knowledge or the skill or the or the courage to resist it. They were powerless to resist this pressure to communize the nation. And Spain was almost was on the verge of going completely communist when Franco stood up and said, "Well, I will not let this happen." If I can, by the grace of God, prevent it. The United States was, was sending, you know, not formally, but we, we had Americans over there fighting for the communists. The Lincoln Brigade was over there to support the communist effort to take over Spain. Franco had practically the world against him there. And um, because he was resisting uh, Spain being Bolshevized by the Bolsheviks in Moscow, he was accused of being an ally of Hitler and a, a fascist. Well, this is what the communists always do. Whoever opposes them gets branded with some kind of name, you know. Um, uh, so, any, but anyway, so who stood up? Who stood up in Brazil? Who stood up in Brazil in 1964? It was the women. It was the women who stood up. It was the women of Brazil who took to the streets with the rosary and with their pots and pans. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, finally millions of the women, the grandmothers, the mothers, their daughters, the mothers-to-be of the future of Brazil, took to the streets of Brazil and they were not going to let their country become communist. That was the thing that saved Brazil. Those rosaries 
You might even say the pots and pans, which were emblems of their vocation as mothers to feed their families, right? Those were their weapons, right? Well, that's all they had, their faith, hope, their charity, their love for God, their fellow you know, Brazilians, their people, their families to protect them from having to live, grow up, raise their children in a communist society. They weren't going to let that happen. They put themselves on the line. They're the ones who saved Brazil back in 1964. And we see the, the communists do not give up. They do not give up. They're like the devil himself. They never give up. They may recede for a while and reconnoiter the situation, looking for new opportunities. They may retreat. They may be beaten back, right? But uh, they're like the cockroaches. You know, you have to have the exterminator come back and drive them out because they're always willing, ready to come back. Um, the first opportunity. Uh, so this is the kind of thing we're dealing with here. But if that's what it takes to save uh, in our society now, I mean, if it's the women who have to get into the street, the, the, the Catholic women, because the Catholic men just do not have the faith or the courage, right, inspired by a love for God, well, then God provide that for us, okay? But I would, I would like to hope, and I do pray that the Catholic men will stand up and say, I mean, maybe, maybe this was, maybe this was part of it, Tom. Maybe the women taken to the streets inspired the men to say. My wife, you know, my daughters are out on the streets. I have to go protect them. Maybe that made them think, I guess I'd better do something about this. And even put myself at risk to, to, to save them. If they're going to put themselves out in the streets, uh, into this, into this battle. Well, if that's what it takes, but I, I would hope that, uh, the grace of God would stir the hearts of Catholic men in this country to stand up and say, we will not allow our country to be, uh, let's say, in, swept away by this, this tidal wave of, of savagery known as communism. We will not allow this savagery uh, to engulf our country. Uh, the fact that they've let it go so far now doesn't give you a lot of confidence in thinking they'll stand up now, right? But by the grace of God, by prayer, that that alone can inspire them to do so. And uh, but I'll tell you, I mean, if they can't do that or won't do it, then why should God deliver us, right? In the old uh, days, I think you yourself were telling me this recently, God would say even Sodom and Gomorrah, with all of its filthy perversions and sinfulness, could have saved them for the sake of just finding 10 just men. Right. Well, I can't help but think that we still have, uh, you know, enough liberty to even think about resisting because there are in America that, those 10 just men, right? But um, we need them to stand up and lead. We need God to send uh, truly prophetic uh, voices that are inspired by faith and hope and love for him. Hopefully the traditional Catholics will provide those valiant souls, men and women, to stand up and inspire and lead. Well, 
Father, thank you for being here tonight. That was very inspiring. So thank you for that. I don't want to combine, con, compare myself with John the Baptist, certainly. Uh, it was no greater man born, a woman, than John the Baptist. But, but so often, when you hear strong people saying powerful things about the faith, and you think of them as voices crying in the wilderness, you know. And I'm talking about others, not so much myself, you know. But uh, that's the grace, the interior grace is needed, and that can only come through prayer. We have to reach for those rosaries. We have to keep those rosaries with us, and we have to pray those rosaries. If there's anything left to fight for in America, it's because of those rosaries that have been prayed and are being prayed right now. And that's what's going to have to lead the, the effort. Now, so uh, let's uh, attend the Mass, thank Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, for... Uh, having redeemed us on his cross, giving us our faith, his faith, the true faith, and, uh, and, and also pray the rosary. These are the, the two most important things we can do for our own souls, the souls of our loved ones, the souls of our country. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Father. Certainly, Tom. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima, to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.